0: The world is speeding up. Everything is moving faster. Uh, many of us at some point will have flown to Europe uh, or from Europe to Australia. And the idea of spending 24 hours in an aircraft can be pretty daunting. i like, whew, that's a long flight. Well, in the 1800s, the fastest that you could make that journey by ship was about two and a half months. And it could take up to four months uh, if you ever got there at all. Put your hand up if you've got a Spotify account. Only one. <laughs> well, a few of us have, but it, for those who have, it's great. You can get almost any music you can think of instantly. Uh, I remember when we had to go to the shop to buy cassette tapes, um, and I've got a picture of one because I think it's likely that there are people in our congregation who have never even seen such a thing. Um, if you wanted to skip a song, you had to fast forward and then you had to estimate where you were on the tape and uh, and then you, you'd, you'd have gone too far, so you've got to go back again and you go back and forwards for about five minutes until you find the point you want on the tape and then it gets all chewed up and you have to resort to this. So if you know, you know, uh, the pain was real. And, uh, and what about email? Uh, we used to have to send letters. And believe it or not, I am old enough to remember that. Uh, you send a letter, and then you had to wait for the reply. And the whole process took about a week. Uh, now you can send an email, takes a couple of seconds, and you can get a reply almost instantly. And the net result is we end up with hundreds of emails. I never got hundreds of letters. Now I'm not complaining about technology per se, Uh, overall I think we benefit from it enormously. I'm simply making the point that life has sped up and I wonder, this speeding up of our lives, has it made us more or less patient? Some years ago a friend of mine boarded a flight and when everyone settled they announced uh, that wi-fi was available. Until that announcement, nobody knew that that was a thing. Uh, you didn't get Wi-Fi on aircraft. And uh, the guy next to my friend, he opened up his laptop and he started working away. And then for whatever reason, the Wi-Fi dropped out. And this guy, he slammed his laptop shut and he said, well, I won't tell you exactly what he said, but it was words it was words to the effect of, this is rubbish. How quickly he grew impatient with technology that he hadn't known existed Just moments before. So when James talks about patience, we should prick up our ears because we live in a culture that is perfectly developed to imbue us with impatience. And the chances are this is something you struggle with. I know I do. And James gives us three scenarios where we need to be patient. He talks about the farmer. He talks about the prophets. And he talks about Job from the book of Job. So let's start with the farmer. What scenario does this most relate to? Well, farmers plough the field and they sow the seed and then they have to wait for the harvest. That was true in James's day. It's still true today. Technology has allowed us to grow crops on a much larger scale, but you cannot get around the fact that crops take time to grow. And once the farmer has planted those seeds, their growth into a a healthy crop are largely beyond his control, and that was even more the case in the ancient world. Farmers must wait patiently for the harvest. So this scenario is to do with waiting patiently on the Lord when there's a situation that is beyond our control. It could be that you're waiting for exam results, or to hear back from a job interview. Or it could be that you've gone past a speed camera a little bit too fast, and you're waiting to find out whether you've picked up a huge fine. I'm sure that's never happened to anyone here, though. (laughs) Of course, there are things that we can do to get good exam results, or to do well in a job interview, or not pick up a speeding fine. But there comes a point when it's out of our hands, and we just have to wait. And those kind of scenarios, and I'm sure you can all think of others, they can be quite nerve-wracking. And James says, be patient. Keep trusting the Lord. You might not be in control, but he is. Of course, things don't always pan out the way that we would like them to. Uh, The world doesn't run according to our plan and our schedule and our wants. We might not get the exam results we were hoping for. We might not get that job. We may well pick up a $300 speeding fine, but if we continue to stand firm in our faith, we know that we have a sure and certain hope for the future. I spoke with someone a couple of weeks ago who was facing uh, a lot of uncertainty, and he said to me, I'm not going to worry about things that I can't control. And it's much easier to say that when we know in our hearts that Jesus is in control. Now this illustration of a farmer waiting for the land to yield its crop uh, can be applied to any area of our lives uh, where we don't have control, which is' a, fairly, which is a very broad category, uh, because we don't have nearly as much control over our lives as we like to think we do. Uh, but James gives it a particular application. He says, "Be patient, then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming." Then he gives the example of the farmer that we just looked at, and then he says you too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. So he says that twice, the Lord's coming. He emphasizes it. It would seem that the early church was impatient for Jesus to return. They might have been saying, well, Jesus said he was going to come back, so where is he? We're doing it tough. Isn't it about time that he came back and delivered us from this terrible situation? Because things weren't easy for the early church. In James' day, there was a severe famine. Uh, People were hungry and impoverished, and the church was facing uh, very serious persecution, the kind of persecution that could lead to the loss of one's job, livelihood, home, possessions, or even the loss of one's life. We can't blame the church for wanting Jesus to return. Our patience is tested when we're on the phone to a large company like Telstra or Origin and we're trying to get something sorted out and we find ourselves on hold for 15 minutes listening to that awful tinny music. If we lose patience with that, I think the early church can be excused for losing patience with being hungry and poor and persecuted. The most ancient prayer of the church is Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And we can understand why they prayed it. And James says, be patient, not in a commanding, domineering way, but in a gentle, encouraging way. Be patient. Jesus is coming. We have no control over the timing, but he is coming. And I want to paraphrase something that I heard from another minister in this diocese, actually. He said, when Jesus returns, every injustice will be put right, every good longing fulfilled, every difficulty overcome every uncertainty resolved, everything that is broken made new, and all that is evil will be no more. What a wonderful hope we have in Jesus. When Jesus returns, no matter what we've experienced in life, none of us will say, it's great that you've come back and that your promises are true, and that resurrection life is a reality, and that I get to spend forever in a world that's been made perfect. That's all great, but the last few years have been pretty tough for me, and I want to know what you're going to do about it. None of us will have that conversation with Jesus, because our hearts will be overflowing with love, joy, gratitude, worship, adoration, excitement, and every other positive emotion that we could think of. Jesus is coming back to right every wrong. Now, all analogies break down at some point, and the farmer analogy breaks down because a good harvest is not 100% guaranteed. If there's a drought, the crop might fail. But Jesus' promises are 100% guaranteed. He said he's coming back, and he will do. We can be sure of that. Nevertheless, the farmer waits patiently for the harvest because experience tells him that the harvest will come. If we go through life trusting the Lord, we will see time and time again that he is trustworthy. Last year, Tissa and I applied for permanent residency. And once that application had gone in, we had absolutely no control over the process. And it was by no means guaranteed uh, that we would be granted it for all sorts of reasons that I won't uh, bore you with now. That could have been quite a sort of tense situation. But we've had visa problems before. When Tissa and I first got together, we, we literally virtually only just met, and Tissa got a letter from the home office saying that she needed to leave the country within a month. And uh, we prayed about it, but it got to the point where Tissa had packed everything, and it was a few days before she was going to leave the country, and the decision was overturned. Now the point isn't that God answered our prayer in the way that we hoped he would, even though he did. The point is that God guided us through that situation. And even if Tissa had had to lead the country, he would have guided us through that situation by some other means, in some other way. When we look back at God's faithfulness in the Bible and in our own lives, we know that we can trust God no matter what we're facing, no matter what's happening around us. The farmer waits patiently for the harvest because he has seen so many harvests. We wait patiently for Jesus to bring us through any situation over which we have no control because we know from experience and from the Bible that his promises are trustworthy and true. And ultimately, we wait patiently for Jesus to return because we know that he will. And when he does, everything will be put right. We should expect Jesus' uh, second coming and his final salvation, we should expect that with even more certainty than the farmer expects to harvest. The next um, illustration is the prophets. Through the, throughout the Old Testament, we continually uh, see the prophets calling out sin and injustice and pointing the nation of Israel back to God. And for the most part, they're completely ignored. The nation continues in its sin and falls under God's judgment. Now, we're not prophets In the Old Testament sense. We may be prophetic and prophecy is a spiritual gift that ought to be encouraged, but Old Testament prophets were individuals who were called by God to speak to the whole nation on God's behalf. We're not that, but the church is called to play a prophetic role in our society. We're called to demonstrate a different way of life and to proclaim the gospel so that we might point people towards Jesus and his kingdom. But often it can feel like our message is falling on deaf ears and we grow impatient. We think that God's kingdom is not growing fast enough. It can be discouraging. And if we're not careful, our patience and our discouragement could lead to an inward focus rather than the outward focus that we should have. Um, for example, you know that um, I'm a chaplain at uh, uh, UniSQ, the, the Springfield campus, and it would be easy to think, well, things aren't moving quickly enough. We're not engaging with enough young adults. We need to see more fruit uh, from this ministry and so on. But the truth is effective ministry takes time, sometimes years, and we have to learn to be patient. Um, the campus in Toowoomba have a, a great Christian fellowship. Uh, they've got a church service there. There's lots of good things going on. But when I spoke to the chaplains, Stephen and Peter, uh, they told me that they walked around the campus at 5 a.m. praying almost every day for a year before they saw anything happen. That takes dedication, determination, and patience so important that we keep trusting God even when we can't see what he's doing. The prophets preached the same message to Israel for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. And it was only after the death and the resurrection of Jesus that anyone fully understood what that was all about and where it was all headed and what God is doing about the problem of human sin and rebellion against God. The prophets were mocked, scorned, ignored, and persecuted, but they patiently continued to deliver the message that God gave them to the nation of Israel. And it's the same for us. We need to stand firm and keep proclaiming the gospel as a church and as individuals through the way that we live, through the things that we say, by the way that we love people. Let us persevere with patience in the knowledge that God is at work. He might not always work according to our timescale, but he is at work. So we've looked at the farmer and the prophets, and our final illustration is Job from the back uh, from the book of Job. You'll be familiar with the story. He was blessed. He was wealthy. He was healthy. He had a great family. Life was, was good for him. And then he lost everything in pretty short order. All of his children were killed in a tragic accident when a building collapsed. Uh, he lost his wealth, he was afflicted with uh, a horrible and painful skin disease. He didn't deserve any of that. He was a good man, an upright man. And a large part of the message of the Book of Job is that bad things can happen to good people, and when they do, it doesn't mean that God has abandoned them. But Job brings in another scenario which is that of unexplainable pain and suffering. And really, this is the context for the whole passage that we're looking at today. Sometimes in life, we experience excruciating pain. I don't mean so much physical pain, but mental and emotional pain. Almost all of us will experience that kind of pain at some point in our lives. We may have advanced technology, but we cannot insulate ourselves from from every form of pain. And under those conditions, and and James was writing to people who would have been experiencing all kinds of suffering and pain and difficulty, uh, but when we're experiencing the most intense pain, it's very easy to lose patience with God, to shake our fist at God and say, why are you allowing this to happen? In fact, Job's wife tells him that that's what he should do. She says, are you still maintaining your integrity curse God and die, which is just the kind of uh, helpful pick-me-up that you need from your wife when you're feeling down. (laughs) But the point is, Job does maintain his integrity because his faith in God's goodness, mercy, and justice are not dependent on his own personal circumstances. And Job uh, didn't have the vantage point that we have. He didn't know that Jesus would come into the world and suffer and die on a cross for his sins. He didn't know that. We know that. He didn't. And of course, at the end of the book of Job, he's restored. uh, Chapter 42, 12 to 13 says this. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys, means really he's like Elon Musk. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. Of course, nothing in this life can compensate us for the loss of a child or children, but our full restoration will come when Jesus returns. So when we're suffering, when we're going through the worst situations, that life can throw at us. So there are two things that we need to remember in order to remain patient. Firstly, we worship a God who suffered and died for us. God is not far removed from our suffering, looking down on on our lives. God came into the world and he suffered. He experienced pain and heartache and anguish. He knows exactly how we feel because he's felt it. He understands our pain. And secondly, Jesus is coming back. And when he does, all pain, heartache, and suffering will cease forever. There's one last aspect of this passage that I want to touch on, and it has to do with the way that we relate to one another. Verse 9 says, don't grumble against one another. And the word that's used for grumble is akin to quarrel. And that makes sense because difficult situations contest our relationships. It's one thing to be civil and friendly and easygoing and laid back when life is good. It's not so easy when we're stressed, tired, hungry, unwell, overworked, or fearful. There's an advert, and I I don't know whether you had it here in Australia, but it was um, Joan Collins, all glammed up, in a male footballer's locker room uh, behaving like a real diva, just snapping at everyone, being really grumpy and tetchy and, and uh, g- going on the offensive. And someone hands her a Snickers, and as soon as she takes a bite, she's transfer- transformed back into this perfectly reasonable, good-natured male footballer. And the strap line is, Snickers, you're not you when you're hungry. <laughs> but the truth is, you are you. When you're hungry, it's just that you might reveal a part of you that is usually kept fairly well hidden. It's just a reminder that we all need to change and keep on changing. But the point is, when we face difficulties as a community, uh, be it a football team or a church or a family or a married couple, it can go one of two ways. It can tear us apart or it can pull us together. And we need to make a conscious decision which one it's going to be. But a big part of dealing with the stuff life throws at us is patience. Patiently waiting for God to do his thing on a personal level in our own lives and on a cosmic level when Jesus returns to make all things new. If we have that perspective and that hope and that firm faith in Jesus, in what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do, then our trials will unite us and bring us together rather than tear us apart. Finally, do you you ever wonder why life is so tough? Do you find yourself thinking, why does God allow us to experience all this stuff that tests our patience to the limit? Well, let me tell you about a scientific experiment that was first conducted at Stanford University in the late 1960s. It's called the Marshmallow Test. It doesn't sound very scientific, but it is. Uh, a group of preschoolers were given the option of one marshmallow now or two marshmallows that they had to wait for. And while they waited for the second marshmallow, they were left alone with the first marshmallow. And if they didn't eat it, then after that period of time, they got the second one. In other words, instant reward versus patiently waiting for an even greater reward. The results were amazing. Those preschoolers who were able to wait had better outcomes in adolescence. They consistently had higher SAT scores. They were more socially aware. They could cope better emotionally. They had higher levels of self-control. They were less prone to temptation, more intelligent, and less distracted when concentrating. Allow me to translate that into our everyday lives, what it means for us. Do we really want God to answer our prayers instantly and give us exactly what we want when we want it? which probably means for most of us a life of ease and comfort? Or do we patiently wait God for God to act in a way that he sees fit? We might ask God to change our situation, and that's perfectly reasonable, and he might do. But if he doesn't, do we lose patience with God, or do we keep contending with life and allow God to mold us and shape us through it? We could have the marshmallow now, we could have instant gratification, but I would suggest that that would not be the best way of fitting us for heaven and helping us to become the people that God has created us to be. Patiently trusting a loving and benevolent God who will ultimately always work for the good of those who love him, I think is a much better approach. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's hard to hear that we need to be patient in the midst of suffering, especially if we are suffering and there may be people here today who are suffering. But Lord, we pray that you will give us a different perspective. Help us to see that your promises are trustworthy and true and that when Jesus returns, every wrong will be put right. And we also recognize, Lord, that you don't work To our time scale and sometimes we're wondering why you haven't acted why you haven't done something why you haven't changed our situation but Lord instead of shaking our fist at you we pray that we will work with you that we will contend with life that we will work to overcome the difficulties and the struggles and the knowledge that you are with us and you will mold and shape and help us we pray father that we will be willing to change to become the people that you want us to be. Help us, Lord, to praise you in the good times and the bad times, as Job did. To sing your praises with joy, no matter what we're experiencing in our lives, because we know that you are good, and you will always work ultimately for our good. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.